Previously in the storyteller Naked Villainy, Kit accuses police of lying. It is highly unlikely that there was any blood or any watch strap, I think, that really was along. Detectives challenge his trip to Edinburgh after Brenda's murder. Do you not think this whole trip to Edinburgh on the 14th of July is a bit bizarre? No. And Kit blames police for the green paint being found at the murder scene. Police have scratched my car and left paint residue in Allen Street. I really wouldn't know, but after, after this interview, I wouldn't put anything apart from It's taken 45 years to bring a killer to court. And for the first time in UK history, you'll hear the full murder trial and witness justice being done. It was a brutal murder of a brilliant woman who was a rising star in genetic research. It would now be almost like a script from Morse. The investigators swarming over the, the dreaming spires of university land. There was kind of palpable feeling of evil in the air. I was told it was just a massive blood in here. Two decades on from confronting evil. So did you kill your ex-wife Brenda Page? Evil is being confronted by the law. Did you kill her? No. She knew it was coming. He said he was going to kill her. If he killed her, he would do it so that nobody would know. Will his true nature be unmasked? Are you familiar with the tale of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And can Brenda's own words help secure her killer's fate? A letter of a death foretold. This is the storyteller, Naked Villainy, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. It's day eight of evidence, having lost a day previously due to the non-attendance of a juror. And this was the day everyone had been waiting for. Would Kit Harrison be giving evidence? My guess, and the overall feeling among the journalists, was that he would. However, an accused has no obligation to do so, and may be advised not to. I went to the nearby cafe in the morning, where I went most days, and sat with fellow journalist Alison. We'd often see the whole defence team in there, but we'd keep a polite distance to respect the boundaries. However, I had a feeling that my instinct was right. As usual, the tannoy announced the case was being called in court one, and we shuffled up two flights of stairs, along with the 82-year-old murder accused, and waited for the defence case to begin. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Mr McConaughey. Yes, Maud, this is a case in which the defence will lead evidence, and I'd call the accused. Dr Harrison, would you please come to the witness box? <laughs> Dr Harrison, would you take the oath, or would you prefer to affirm? Affirm. Would you repeat after me? I solemnly, sincerely and truly... I solemnly, sincerely and truly... Declare and affirm... Declare and affirm... That I will tell the truth... That I will tell the truth... The whole truth... The whole truth... And nothing but the truth... And nothing but the truth... Thank you. Now, Dr Harrison, you've heard me say this to all the other witnesses and you're in absolutely no different position. If during the course of the questioning, at any point a question is asked and you don't hear the question or you don't understand the question for whatever reason, we'd just like it to be repeated. Please just say so and I'll make sure that happens. Do you understand? I do, my lord. Secondly, you'll also appreciate how important it is that we hear what you have to say. 
So if you can do your best to keep your voice up and direct your voice into the microphone, I, they seem to be slightly low and perhaps the court officer can assist us by adjusting them up a little bit. There was a murmur about dodgy knees and it was decided he should sit. A fair request, knowing this was likely to take some time. I understand you prefer to sit, Dr. Harrison. Uh, why don't you try sitting down and we'll see what the lines of sight are like. Ladies and gentlemen, are you still able to, to see Dr. Harrison? Very well. We'll proceed on that, on that basis. Standing up, we'll proceed on the sitting basis. Is that your... Uh, uh, if you prefer to sit, Dr. Harrison, please do so. Thank you. Uh, secondly, uh, or rather, I think probably we, we've reached thirdly now. If, if uh, at any point um, during the course of your examination uh, you uh, feel that you need a break, then let me know, and uh, if uh, that situation arises, we'll deal with it when it does, but please tell me if that situation arises. Thank you. Do you understand? Ms. McConaughey. Could you tell the court your full name, please? Christopher Merlin Harnett Harrison. How old are you? 82. And your present address? 12 Myland Place. And is that in Aberdeen? Yes, sir. Are you now retired? I am. What did you do? Research scientist. What was the last post you, you held? Um, translator, uh, sometimes for the United Nations, sometimes for Reader's Digest. Uh, and where was that? Um, in The Hague. Now, so far as your education was concerned, where, where were you born? Ripon in Yorkshire. And did you live there throughout your childhood? Not at all, uh, sir. My father was on tank exercises during the war, and I was born in Ripon in 1940. Uh, and where, where were you brought up? Um, during the Blitz, we had a different uh, address almost every two weeks. Uh, eventually, did you go to university? I did. I went to Queen's College, Cambridge. <coughs> and when was that? <coughs> Uh, that was in 1959. And what did you study at Queen's College in Cambridge? Natural sciences. Natural sciences. What, what does that involve? Uh, the study of three different disciplines. Um, I studied zoology, botany and geology. And how long were you at Queen's College in Cambridge? Three years. Sorry, I didn't catch that. Three years. And what did you do after that? After that, I was in Rome, uh, where I was with the United Nations uh, Fisheries uh, Biology Organization. And I then went on to join the Navy and worked for the Admiralty for some four or five years. When did you come out of the Navy? Uh, 1968, when I was asked to uh, become a tutor in biology at Harvard in the United States. I, I wonder, just uh, whilst the ladies and gentlemen may or may not be able to see you, the television rather obscures my view. I don't know if there's a, 
a way we could just lie that down at the moment. It's... I, I don't know. Shall I stand up until I fall down? Well, no, no, I'm if, so if, very sorry. I've got arthritic it, knees. It, it's not your fault, Dr. Harrison. It's just that... That's so try sit down that, again now. That's fine. That's better. Be better for me. I, I just felt I was trying to look over the television to see you and vice versa. So I'm so sorry. It, it, it's fine. You might have noticed I'm letting you hear everything because I think you'll get a truer insight into the court process and also Kit Harrison's character by letting you hear these interactions and how he responds so apologetically. And also, this is the first time in history there's an opportunity for you to hear a man accused of murder give evidence in a UK court, and in such an unusual and historic case. Sorry, so you said that you, you left the Navy when you were asked to... Become a tutor in biology at Harvard in 1968, that's September 1968. And how long were you in Harvard for? Something like three years. And I returned to uh, Britain in November 1971. By that time, by November 1971, had you met Brenda Page? Never at all. I first met Brenda Page in May uh, the following year. So May of 1972? No, I'm so sorry. I came back in November 1970 to Britain. I then got a job at the Varus Research Institute in Glasgow, and I first met Brenda Page in May of 1971. Right. And when you met uh, Brenda Page, what was she doing at that time? She was studying for her PhD in genetics, and the genetics tower at the bottom of Church Street in Glasgow was joined to the Department of uh, Virology uh, by a bridge. Uh, and is that where you met her? Um, I first met her in the Paternoster, which is a kind of moving box lift, continuously going round and round. And as a joke, I remained standing in the Paternoster and went right down to the bottom and suddenly appeared out of the, the bottom while Brenda Page was waiting for the Paternoster together with her friend Adrian Jessup, and they both burst out laughing. After you met her in 1971, did you, sorry, did you and she form a relationship? We did. Do you know when that started? Um, I would think um, at the beginning of June 1971. You said she was studying for her PhD. Did she complete her PhD? She did. Uh, she was doing a lot of fluorescence micros microscopy and uh, sometimes uh, she would uh, spend nearly the entire day with a fluorescence microscope, peering down the microscope and taking photographs of chromosomes. And do you know when she completed her PhD? I believe that uh, she graduated in 1973 from Glasgow having started, I believe, in 1969. So far as the subject of her PhD <coughs> and the subject of your PhD subsequently, were they the same, different? Not at all. They were entirely different. 
When did you and Brenda Page decide to get married? Uh, we decided to get ma married uh, in April of 1972 and married in May of 1972. And where did that marriage take place? That marriage took place in the church of St. Mary La Tower in Ipswich. And is that where uh, Dr. Brenda Page was from? That was where Dr. Page was from. So far as the, uh, the wedding is concerned, did you stay down there with members of her family before the wedding? Uh, we stayed down there with members of her family, and my parents, I think, uh, stayed in a hotel in Sudbury. After your marriage, where did you live? Uh, we lived in... We lived in my house in West Savile Terrace in Edinburgh, where we had been living since the end of 1971. And when you were living in Edinburgh at that stage, where were you working? I was working in the Department of Physiology in the University of Edinburgh. And where was Brenda working? She was working in Glasgow. Is that in the same post she was when you, you met her? Exactly. After your marriage, uh, how did the, the marriage go, so far as you were concerned? Happy. It, did you and Brenda Page want to have a, a family? We did. We wanted to have children. Uh, on her birthday in 1973, she gave me a book of photographs entitled Baby Animals, and I got the hint she was wanting to have children. And uh, did you and she have any success in that regard? We didn't. We uh, went to attend a lecture given by Re uh, Roger Short of the Department of Fertility, who gave a, a public lecture in Edinburgh entitled How to Get Pregnant. But you didn't have any success in relation to We that. didn't. Did the marriage remain happy? It did. Uh, Brenda, after graduation, was offered a job in Aberdeen, which she took, uh, I think, at the end of 1973. And I started house hunting with her in Aberdeen from the end of 1973 until the middle of 1974. When she was offered that job in Aberdeen, well, at that point, where were you working? I was still working in Edinburgh because I needed to f do my best to finish my doctorate in physiology before going on to anything else. When uh, Dr. Page got the job in Aberdeen, did you and she move to Aberdeen? She stayed for, I think, six months with a Mrs. Stewart on the Great Western Road in Aberdeen, and we both of us house-hunted at the weekends. And did you eventually find a property to, to buy? We did. I looked for somewhere that was as close as possible to Brenda's work so she wouldn't have to drive long distances in her green mini, which was getting rather old and, and antiquated. And... Was that the same house that you still occupy today? It is.
At 12 Mile End Place. Quite right. When did you and she move up to Aberdeen? Uh, she was already in Aberdeen at the end of 1973, and I got a posting with uh, Professor Hamish Keir in biochemistry at the end of 1974, and by that time, in July, we'd already bought a house in, in Mile End Place. Now, evidence has been led from a variety of people who have said that Brenda effectively told them the marriage was unhappy and that you were physically violent towards her. I was never physically violent to, to Brenda Page on any occasion. And uh, she started making up these stories in 1976 to provide grounds for a divorce because she said that I was a failure and by that she meant I was a failure in not having produced children with her. Were you aware of the fact that she was telling people that you had been violent towards her? Uh, not really. I first uh, learned that when uh, somebody uh, in her Department of Genetics, she was in charge of cytogenetics at, at, at uh, the Royal Infirmary in Aberdeen. And uh, somebody said to me, you're not at all like the pictures you're uh, described as. You're kind and lo loving and gentle, and yet you're made out to be a monster. And I was rather surprised and taken aback. So... Would you have described yourself as controlling? Not in the slightest. I tried to help Brenda develop her own career and do whatever she wanted. Did it become apparent to you that the marriage was in difficulty? Well, it was because Brenda desperately wanted to have children. And in a marriage, it isn't always the fault of one party whether or not you have had uh, success in having children. I'd had a child in a previous relationship uh, before I ever met uh, Brenda Page. I knew I could have children. And Brenda Page never asked herself the question, was uh, there a problem with her fertility? This is the first time we've heard mention of Kit Harrison having a child. I too did not know this, even with my background knowledge from the police from two decades ago. On the issue of fertility, let's not forget Brenda's job doing prenatal testing. And while that's not the same as fertility, I think it's safe to say she'd have an above average knowledge on the subject. The ladies and gentlemen have heard evidence from uh, people about Brenda saying she had suffered injuries as a result of your violence towards her? That never on any occasion happened. We were about to go for a, an Easter break in 1973, and I was packing the car out on the street, and Brenda Page said to me, I need to check that the kitchen door is locked 
and she went back into the house into a very well-lit well and sunny kitchen and came back through the hall where she stumbled over a suitcase. And whether she had had a dizzy spell, and she sometimes did have dizzy spells at work, when she then had half a banana or half a Mars bar, that could have been the problem. I, I thought myself maybe she had become pregnant because people who are pregnant sometimes have dizzy spells. So I was very concerned and drove her to the accident and emergency department of the infirmary in Edinburgh. And when she arrived at A&E in Edinburgh and was asked what had happened, Brenda Page said, I have no idea what happened. I just uh, fell. Was she injured as a result of that in any way? Not at all. All the injury that could be <coughs> confirmed was a slight bruising on one knee where she'd stumbled over a suitcase. The, there was evidence led, uh, I think, from amongst other people, her sister, who indicated that she became aware of there being a, an injury to her head. I think it was a scar to her head which resulted in her changing her hairstyle. Do you know how that happened? I do. When she was uh, in Aberdeen, she was a member of a co-op club which sold from a wholesale warehouse on Langstracht. And on one occasion, she had just had a, bought a, a lot of goods and loaded them into the back of, the, of her car. And when she was unloading a box, she raised her head slightly too soon and caught it on the locking mechanism of the flap at the back of her car. And that left a, a little triangular dent in her forehead, and that, that was it. The, I think the suggestion was she had told people it was because you'd thrown a book at her. I've never thrown a book at anybody in my entire life. I just wanted to point out to you, if you hadn't already noticed, the extreme detail he goes into of each event. He's either got an incredible, almost photographic memory, or he's embellishing detail to create a lie. I also noticed earlier on how he mirrored his KC, often repeating word for word the question incorporated into his answer, rather than replying yes or no. She appears to have told people about an incident whereby she suffered some problem with her eyes as a result of an assault by you. Brenda Page had adult measles in the year of her graduation from University College London. And she was very ill indeed, and they allowed her to take the examination, I believe, from the infirmary in UCL. And uh, so they made a special exam room where she took her uh, exams. And because it was peaceful and quiet, she did very well with her exams and got a first-class degree. What's the connection between that and the The connection the eyes? between that and uh, the eyes is because measles gives little lesions on the skin. It does exactly the same in the back of your retina. And with adult measles, people can sometimes, with a serious attack of measles, go completely blind. And so I was extremely worried when she was doing too much microscopy at the Department of Genetics. 
and made an appointment with the ophthalmologist, J. Stanley Kant, who said that there was no mention of any domestic violence at all. He had simply been able to confirm that there were small lesions at the back of the retina of the kind that people get when they've had adult measles. Did you ever assault her, causing her to have any kind of injury to either her head or her eyes? Never. There was evidence led before the ladies and gentlemen uh, from a, a lady who said that she was present in your house when you threw, if I noted her evidence correctly, six cups of tea over <coughs> Brenda. I don't believe that Diana Davey and that was the person ever visited us in Edinburgh. I can't recall any occasion where she visited. The only time she did visit Brenda Page, as far as I know, was when Brenda was living in Allen Street in Aberdeen, and she made the same story uh, about, uh, I was supposed to have visited in Allen Street and thrown cups of tea. I'd never visited Allen Street when there was anyone else present in Brenda's flat, and I certainly never threw a cup of tea. D did you do that in Edinburgh? I did not. D did you do it anywhere? No. At some point in time, did you and Brenda Page separate? We did. We separated on a Sunday, the 20th of June, 1976. By that stage, you'd been married for what, about four years? Yes. And what were the circumstances of the separation? We were in the middle of a heat wave, and I had to clear a laboratory in Edinburgh and ask Brenda Page if she would accompany me to Edinburgh and help clear up the laboratory, and then... So, sorry, just pausing for a moment. At that point in time, where were you living? Myland Place. In Aberdeen? Yes. Sorry, so you had to go to Edinburgh? I was finishing off my PhD work for my PhD in Edinburgh, and somebody else was wanting to come and use the laboratory where I had worked in Edinburgh. So I was requested to come and clean up the laboratory entirely and have it ready for the newcomer on the following Monday. So... I urgently asked Brenda Page if she could pack up a mop and a pail and a, a, <clears throat> some Dettol and come and help me clean out the laboratory, but she said she had a lot of work in Aberdeen, so I had to go down myself. And you, you said, I think, you separated on the 20th of June, so what date would it be that you went down and uh, cleaned up the laboratory yourself? Saturday the 19th. And having done that, where did you go? I got back home at four o'clock in the morning and fell exhausted into bed. And by that time, was that the 20th of June? Yes. What happened then? Uh, I was still asleep and still <laughs> exhausted at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning when Brenda Page pulled me out of bed by one foot and I landed on the floor with a bump. What did you do then? Uh, I got up uh, and went downstairs and locked myself into the room downstairs that I used as a study. What was Brenda Page's mood at this particular time? 
I would say, violent and angry, and I, I couldn't understand what was going on. But did she explain to you what was going on? Through a locked door, she used, applied first one shoulder and then another shoulder to bash down the door. And then wearing bell-bottomed uh, tr white trousers, she kicked with her shoes to try and fo force in a panel of the door at the bottom. And at that point, I unlocked the door and said, for heaven's sake, do we have to have this kind of noisy row? What was the, the row about, so far as you could tell? I have not the faintest notion. I think that she was uh, <clears throat> annoyed that I hadn't brought a breakfast in bed, which I usually did on a Sunday. How did that incident end? Uh, she flaunted out of the house and uh, left. Another observation. Here, Kit Harrison has, in a light-hearted anecdote during which he chuckles, made Brenda the aggressor, pulling him off the bed because he hadn't made her breakfast and breaking a door down. There's an acronym, DARVO, which stands for Deny Attack Reverse Victim Offender. If Kit Harrison was indeed violent and coercively controlling of Brenda, then this is Darvo in action. Note also his attention to detail, mentioning the white trousers. As an accused, he and his team would have had access to all the evidence for a long time. But let's not forget, he's heard all the witness testimonies and taken notes throughout. And often without being prompted, he makes sure he has a reason or excuse for every point. After that date, the 20th of June 1976, did she return to the house? She did. I invited her to dinner at a friend's house in Cove. That was Ronnie Winram. And we went to have dinner with Ronnie Winram in Cove on the Wednesday following. And I said to Brenda, bring along a solicitor, bring along a friend, bring along anybody you like, and we'll go through the house room by room and sort out what you want to uh, take with you and when and we'll have some kind of reasonable settlement. One settlement I suggested was that she should purchase the house since it was near her work and pay me a half of the purchase price, the original purchase price being £12,000, so that I would simply get £6,000 and she would retain the property. By that time, from what you're describing, had you reached the conclusion that the marriage was, was over? There was an irretrievable breakdown of marriage because Brenda Page was resuming an affair with her first uh, love, David Catteridge. So you suggested a, a particular settlement, which was that she purchased your half share in the house at 12 Mile End Place so that she could keep the house? Exactly. Did that prove able to be uh, worked out in that way? She looked into it and claimed that she sh couldn't uh, find a, a mortgage, although she had a relation with the Halifax Building Society in Ipswich. So the, the agreement whereby she could buy you out didn't happen? It didn't happen. 
Did she raise divorce proceedings? She did. And so far as those divorce proceedings are concerned, I think we've seen some of the paperwork which was based upon what was alleged to be your cruelty. In order to give grounds of cruelty, Brenda Page used her medical records and every minor incident in the past four years she built up to make it look as though it was an incident of cruelty, which it most certainly was not. D did you defend the divorce? I never even saw the divorce papers because they were never delivered to me. They were delivered by post and Brenda Page was there when they were delivered. And because she knew I was away the following Monday, she suggested they should be re-delivered the following Monday. And they were then eventually affixed to my front door by the sheriff's officers in, in D Street. Well, where were you at the time? I, I believe that I was staying with my parents in Basingstoke, but shortly after that, I went for a holiday with my father and my brother to the Isle of Skye. Well, we know, I think, from the, some of the paperwork and the evidence that's been led in the case that eventually negotiations took place whereby a financial settlement was agreed between you and Brenda Page. Indeed. And what I think we understand to have happened was that you paid her £6,000. Uh, I made an initial payment of £6,000, but I then got a mortgage for £9,000 and paid a £9,000 in total which was the sum that she had paid to purchase her new house in Allen Street. There was no evidence of this extra payout, and nor did he have to prove it or anything else. This was Kit Harrison's opportunity to weave his tales, all with the purpose of creating doubt, a reasonable doubt. And there was a long way to go, including the reason Brenda took out an interim interdict. In the next episode of The Storyteller, Naked Villainy, Kit Harrison echoes the tabloid headlines describing Brenda as having a double life. thought that as a well-paid university lecturer that it wasn't a good thing to be leading a double life uh, as somebody who in the evenings worked for an escort agency. How he spent his evening the night Brenda was killed I went to the cinema complex at, uh, on Union Street and watched a dreadful film. And an admission and excuse for being on a train platform south of Aberdeen at 5am. I got onto the platform and to my astonishment, the clock, instead of saying 6 o'clock, was still pointing to 5 o'clock. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review as it makes a huge difference to guiding people to hearing this important story. This is an entirely independent production and your support is greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear exclusive interviews, longer episodes and insights, please head to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. This is a piece of history and you are for the first time in this format witnessing justice being done.